0: Welcome to uh, Freedom Podcast, TPLC, by Saccharvole Insight. What is Saccharvole Insight for those who do not know? Uh, Sakarbor Insight is uh, a media platform aiming at promoting Georgia abroad in English language. Why we do this? We do this because there is a very big lack of awareness about the country, about Georgia. There is very little information about the country, and the country lacks in uh, globally lack of... uh, clarity. So Sakarban Site is here for that, to bring clarity into what is the country, what are the dynamics, whether they are micro or macro, we go into culture, uh, business, economic, uh, and many more. So one of the, the format that we have is the one that you're uh, looking at right now is the podcast. So we interview and we uh, have long form conversations with uh, very interesting people. Uh, and today we have Eric Livni, uh, who is also my friend. And uh he's the former president of ISET, the best, and everybody knows this here. Uh, you can ask anybody in uh, Tbilisi, the best economic school uh, in Georgia, probably in Caucasus as well. So he uh, was the president. Now he, I mean, he's an economist as well. And uh, every time I have conversation with Eric... These are uh, very long conversations and very insightful. So I wanted uh, the audience to uh, get uh, the same knowledge that I get every time I'm talking with Eric uh, on many, many different uh, fields. Uh, We we can talk about modern history of Georgia. He arrived here, I mean, he will uh, tell us, but he arrives here quite early in the uh, the starting of the boom of, uh, of the country and uh, you're going to learn a lot about uh, uh, the economy in general of the, of reg- of the region. So, uh, you know, I, I wanted to have conversations with him uh, today so that you can uh, get a sense of what are our conversations in general. So, Eric, uh, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Sony. Great uh eric uh, let's go let's dive right in uh can you tell us a little bit about you first of all from you know just a brief overview of from your childhood where you're born uh, what is your background and how did you end up here uh wow well, it's a long story yeah. <laughs> so i'll try to make it as short
1: as possible i was born actually in st petersburg in uh, russia uh, in the 60s so i'm uh, older than i then I look, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my family emigrated to Israel when I was little, in, uh, in the 70s. So I grew up there. I, got, I served in the military. I got married. I studied at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And in the early 90s, uh, I guess for a combination of reasons, professional, personal, uh, life took me back to the former Soviet Union space. I went to Moscow. I'm very proud to be involved in the setup of uh, a, another school there called the New Economic School. So I was there for two years, from 93, 94, into 95. Then I stayed on, on another mission in Moscow for another uh, 10 years. And then 2007, I got a phone call from Tbilisi. It just so happened, people who knew me called me and said, Eric. We've started a school uh, in Georgia, but we have a crisis. Uh, We have students, Uh, we have a few teachers. We need somebody to take this institution forward. Would you be available? And I I thought little, and I jumped on board of this amazing initiative called ISET, the International School of Economics. And in April 2007, I
0: was here. Can you give context about uh, how was Georgia at the time? Like, uh, Because it might sound easy for someone who is in the West. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to go in another Western country and things are already set up. So here, the context is very different.
1: It's uh, Georgia will always be a mixture of things. Uh, it's a very complex animal place uh, to explain to, to an o- outsider. Um, just to give you uh one example when i when i came here in 2007 i remember a social ad running on tv uh which was stunning at the time so they showed on this ad uh, a view of the rustaveli avenue from above yeah, first in slow motion and then little little by little it was speeding up and from above it looks like crazy mess you know cars you're getting into the w- into each other's way no order you know, it, g- it gets Im- amazingly scary, <laughs> and then cut, and you get to see, a view from above as well, a traditional Georgian dance, with amazing harmony, mm. you know, and this move, this beautiful movement, you know, that nobody crashes into nobody. Yeah, right. It's, you know, so well managed. Then cut again, back to the Rustaveli Avenue from mm. above. Cut again, back to the slow motion of this. Amazingly harmonious uh, Georgian dance, and you get to think, you know, how come these two extremes uh, get to coexist in the same in the same space? But that this is what Georgia is. It, it's a it's a mixture of a lot of extremes. So Georgia is always has always been a country that strived for freedom. Uh, they have a saying in Georgian that freedom is in the mountains. Uh, and it's true. I mean, if you don't want to pay taxes, now back to economics, you know, you go to the mountains. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, the taxman doesn't go up. (laughs) (laughs) So you escape whatever empires ruled in this territory uh, over thousands Mm -hmm. of years. People escape to the mountains to, to, Mm -hmm. to have their freedom there. But life in the mountains is not easy. Life in the mountains means there's harsh weather, you know, avalanches, uh, you have to work harder. So this is what th- this is the trade-off, you see. You can have fr- freedom, but in the harsh climatic and uh, economic conditions. Or you can pay taxes in the valley mm-hmm. and uh, sacrifice your freedom a little bit.
0: Uh-huh. So you, you think we cannot have freedom and low taxes? <laughs> no?
1: Well, freedom and low taxes are... And, and no taxes. It's oh. This is impossible, right? Well, you need... You know, freedom, there are different definitions of what freedom is, but uh, you cannot have freedom, I believe, without access mm. because you need uh, order, S- at least some order. And to, to have some order, you need... To enforce the law. Yeah, you have to enforce the law. In that case, you need... Yeah, you need to co- collect... You need yes. enforces, you have to pay them. So uh, that's the m- very
0: minimum that you have, uh, to have. Where did you study in... Uh, in, uh in Israel? Yes. At the Hebrew University. And so you studied uh, economics there?
1: Not only. I actually studied political science as well. Mm.
0: Uh, okay, so 2007. Right. You come uh, here in Georgia. You take the lead of ISAT. And you're also an economic professor. Can you lead us to, you know, those, those years? What, you know, what, what were the challenges?
1: Yeah, the, the, the challenges were... Very basic, I would say, you know, we, we had to uh, establish a credible uh, educational institution. Uh, in in Georgia 2007, it mean and meant, I believe, from the very first week I spent here, the first weekend, I remember, I had to come and help proctor exams. I had to personally come with my son on my shoulders. I mean, this was a weekend, so I, I had to also perform my parental duty. So my son, Jan, was sitting on my shoulders, uh, and we went into ICETS classes. At the time, it was at the TSU main building, and I, ha- I had to be there in person to make sure that uh, proctoring happens at the right level. Why? Because it was absolutely uh, impossible to have no cheating in, well. in, in a Georgian uh, university setup. You know, everybody cheated Wow. Yeah. And the, the, the funny thing is that from the proctors, you no, know, we hired proctors. Uh, and when you leave them alone in, in the classroom at the time, they thought it would be uh, the right thing for them to do to help the students. Mm. You know, they didn't understand that their job to help the students was not about helping them cheat, it was about enforcing discipline. But it wasn't the case. So I had to be there. Mm-hmm. This was the very, very uh, beginning but uh, in general what we had to do it was to make sure that we have the best students which means you have to go around and, and get students not only from Georgia by the way we had students from Armenia from Azerbaijan a few other places as well uh, and uh, we had to establish a credible curriculum with international faculty whom we hired you know in the international la- uh, jobs market and bring them here, make them feel comfortable. So organize it in a way that would resemble, you know, a typical Western campus. Uh,
0: in a way, in a way, building a school is uh, building is, is a business as well. You need to deal with, uh, uh, you know, human resources. You have a budget that you need to deal with, and then you have uh, outcomes. And the outcomes is the product. I mean, your product, the product is you know, the students, the students, the quality of the students. Now. Mm. there's another aspect is whether or not education is uh, um, uh, uh, financially viable but it doesn't matter so much because the product will have a life of of its own and then produce 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 and uh, so what are the crucial points that you need to figure out when building a school if you can sum it up to three Principles, principles, so that you have your product done properly. Which is the product in that case, the, the students.
1: Yeah, you know, I. Uh, this may be, may sound cynical, but uh, the first and, and the most important principle is actually to do very well uh, the selection of um, students. Su- yes. The selection of students. So it, this is this is even more important than uh, selecting, let's say, professors. Uh, why? Because even if you get, let's say, even if your professors are not exactly international stars, uh, as long as you have good students in your program, uh, you will have a good product at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Because smart students, you know, they become smart uh, employees. And they will prove their worth uh, in uh, in any occupation. Even if they don't choose to become economists at the end of the day, let's say they want to become bankers, or just uh, start their own business, uh, these guys will, you know, they will do well. And so that will help I- establish your, your reputation. And this is what you have to care about, your reputation at the end of the day. Now, of course, you need to have good faculty in order to attract the best students. And you need to have a decent, very, st- very good, very decent, uh, r- rigorous program. Uh, these are the three components, indeed. Mm. Students, faculty, and, and program. That make it, make it a school, but I, I started with the students. Yes. This is this is the really Very crucial condition. Yeah. Very interesting. The filtering process. The filtering, exactly right. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Hmm. So basically, you're saying that y- y- I don't know. There's an expression for this, but you cannot uh, uh, you cannot have a, a world class horse if you have like a donkey or something like this, right? <laughs> <laughs> something maybe, like this. Maybe in French, but uh, I don't. Maybe it's in <laughs> French, but, uh, but I mean what I mean is that. You cannot change the nature of... Of the person. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very interesting. Very and and the by the way, thing. this is the main problem with the Georgian education system nowadays. Uh, uh, not only Georgian. I mean, I studied education uh, on, uh, as, as a field, in fact. Mm. Uh, as an economist, of course. And one of the major problems today in education is that there's almost no selection. Mm. into. So there's too much... Um, there's too much demand for for basic education so a lot of people go into colleges in some countries up to 70% a- and this doesn't uh, translate into quality
0: absolutely yeah absolutely and and that's wha- that's why actually i guess uh and i'm i'm always saying that I, I, I don't value uh universities as much as as before and i think the reason is that's the reason, because the filtering process is not um, strict enough.
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, what w- we call it inf- a degree inflation, mm. like in th- there can be money inflation, but uh, sometimes you have inflation of degrees. Like too many people have bachelor degrees. Then in order to stand out, people want to stand out, right? So they get go for the next degree and then uh, which happens to be master's. So then you have too many people with master's degrees. And since there are too many people with master's degrees, you know, some people want to stand out, uh, and then they go for PhDs, and then they go for postdocs. In the end, you have so many academics, academics yeah, yeah. Uh, that you know we end up with a lot of unemployed people, with uh, unemployed diplomas, unemployed
0: you know. people, uh, and I and I think dangerous people because these are the type of people which will be very scornful on, for instance, the entrepreneurs. Because they believe, hey, look, I have three degrees. I have uh, PhD in this, this, and this, and this. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the, their capacity to provide value is very low. Yeah. And, uh, but still, you know, having those, those, those diplomas make you think that you're worth more.
1: Uh, you know, it, what you're describing is how frustration is, is, bu- is built. Oh, super. People get frustrated. You know, th- I've studied for so many years, and this is what I'm doing. You know, what's going on? Somebody must be to blame for them, right? So you blame the government, you blame the establishment, the elites, and uh, you find yourself fighting for something mm. uh, which is completely detached from reality. Mm. Uh, so th- th- this is a dangerous, indeed, thing. And uh, you know, some countries avoided it. By the way, you know, if you look at uh, Europe, for example, uh, some countries in Northern Europe, like Scandinavian countries, Finland, for example, Germany, um, they have avoided a similar situa- situation, and so they have much lesser percentage of people going into academic mm-hmm. education. They have people going into professional schools. They go people. They have people who go into business uh, early in their lives. And the the share of those with academic degrees is roughly 25, 30% in those countries, Mm. which is maybe the right ratio. Uh,
0: Here in Georgia, there is uh, kind of a rejection of manual work. (laughs) And uh, where do you think it comes from? Because it's prevalent also in in, uh, Oriental uh, societies uh, in 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 jewish communities as well it depends on whether it's um, in ashkenazis like you know nobody ashkenazis don't want to work with their hands much more going into intellectual work Uh, but why is this and do you just see it as a just the natural evolution of looking for status before looking for uh value Uh, i wouldn't go there
1: uh, and by the way, talking of Ashkenazi jewish it 's not exactly true that they they they, they avoid uh, manual uh, occupations. in fact, my, my wife happens to be polish she, uh, Her mother comes from a she's not Jewish, but she comes from a, a very small Polish town which used to be occupied, uh, used to be populated by Jews up until late 19th century. I think it was twenty thousand population. all of them you know what they were doing the whole, the whole city they were shoemakers Mm, all of them that's as manual as Mm, it gets mm, 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 mm. they were making uh, shoes initially from the Russian army that was uh, stationed nearby and later when the army left I'm talking about the Tsar's period late 19th century they started making shoes they converted to civil civil production they converted into you know boots Mm. Uh, so let's leave Jews alone (laughs) (laughs) but talking of Georgians Georgians it's a, it's a very interesting question, yeah, and I think it goes back centuries. It may have to do something with the, with the way this country evolved, uh, you know, through the Middle Ages and early Middle Ages. In fact, when the, it served the uh, traffic of traders and trade that went through Georgia, so when traders moved through this area, you know, coming from Central Asia, from Uzbekistan, the country where I live now, um, they needed places to stay, hospitality, they needed food, they needed entertainment. And uh, I think Georgia, there was, by the way, there was a competition uh, for more comfort, more entertainment, uh, better food, uh, between different, uh, first of all, different routes, And then on the same route, you could stop at different establishments, right? Different small towns uh, for rest, recuperation. Uh, So from that, the Georgians could have developed their hospitality tradition, Mm. just competing for these guests, for traders. Uh, And there wasn't any incentive to engage in production. There were always peasants, because food was a a key element of uh, society. Production of food was the key occupation. In back then, but never it never went beyond uh, beyond that, and uh, because there were also other people around, like Armenians, perhaps uh, th- there may have been a division of labor somehow. So the Georgians specialized in entertainment, food, toast making, and the Armenians were the craftsmen. Mm-hmm. You now this is my simplified version of history.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, when you when you build this uh, this school. Uh, do you have um, any bias economically? Uh, are you uh, more of a? Uh, do do you teach more of a Canadian type of economy? Do you no, 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 We, we didn't go there. Mm. You know,
1: you can easily politicize. Uh, the yeah, that's yeah, very easily politicized. But the, the
0: but it's important to understand why the school has become the b- the best in in teaching economy. It's important to understand what was inside, so that then you can. But
1: we didn't have an agenda, Mm -hmm. uh, either ideological or academic, in any of any sort. So we, over the years, we had teachers. uh, By the way, for me, when selecting teachers, the most important thing was, um, first, I would say, is that the guy is actually a good teacher. Uh, The second pedagogy. Pedagogy, yeah. Mm -hmm. The second important aspect was, help with um, the relationship relationship building between us in isol- a fairly isolated place, Georgia and ISET, us and the rest of the world. So if, if we bring a teacher from Harvard or if we bring a teacher from Oxford, I'm just throwing names, you know, uh, that would help build uh, bridges because we wanted also our students to get the chance to go abroad, to con- mm-hmm. to, to continue their education, and having people, teachers, with excellent uh, connections outside, was uh, very helpful. So these these were the two uh, criteria I would say. But uh, ideology or you know which school you belong to, not so much. So we had over the years teachers. For example, we had one guy who was extremely keen on behavioral economics, which is considered to be fashionable nowadays. You know, to it goes a little bit beyond the standard textbooks, mm-hmm. not a little. Uh, goes a lot beyond the standard textbook stuff, so he came several times, and he wanted really people to go into behavioral economics. To, to at, a, at a certain point in time, it became too much. You know, we had to stop it. You know, can, can you
0: explain behavioral economics? This is Daniel Kahneman uh, field, and there is a, a previous one. I don't
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a lot of. Can you can you speak? just sure, briefly yeah. yeah, briefly. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean the basic idea of behavioral economics uh, is that uh, people are not machines; uh, they have feelings. For example, you know if you st- you know you, ha- you have to explain first of all what economics yes, studies. Yes, yes. Yeah, so e- e- economics for if you if you take a standard approach, uh, we are modeling people. So when you model a person, uh, you simplify, right? So in the very very crude. Caricatur- caricaturistic way uh economists analyze people as if they are robots that uh, you know spend some time to earn money and then spend the rest of the time to spend it so this is what uh a standard homo economicus is a machine that uh, uses s- some sort of mathematical approach to optimizing the time divided between leisure. Uh, and uh, work. Yes. And so he, he that's that's the standard.
0: The pre the premise uh, is is saying that basically humans are rational and they make rational, rational economic decisions.
1: They but make rational decisions, and these decisions are first and foremost about earning and spending. So when the behavioral uh, economics was sort of invented, if you wish, 60s or 70s or 80s. Uh, the, the idea was to to move away or beyond these very simplistic notions and to assume more comp- make some more complicated assumptions about people, for example, people are emotional, people have feelings, people can be altruistic, so they don 't only worry about themselves, they may worry about their communities, they may worry about you know other people, uh, which is true we We often care about other people. people can have uh, irrational feelings like they can fear they can, they they love and when they love they they do crazy stuff uh like any georgian would know, would uh, do crazy stuff often right georgians are very emotional so uh in a way you know you can think of behavioral economics as a study of georgian men <laughs> <laughs> very irrational human beings and uh, but to do it also in a mathematical way so this is where it gets complicated. Yeah, so it's mo- difficult to apply mathematics to
0: irrational stuff, which is chaotic, which is chaotic by nature. Yeah, yeah. So and this is
1: where the promise of behavioral economics, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Get, mm-hmm. gets
0: complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Trying to model to 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 model chaos, which is impossible. By you
1: can definition. try, but it gets so complicated that you yeah. cannot uh, make simple uh, predictions. Mm-hmm. You cannot explain it to people.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so to come back to your, your selection of teachers, you, know, you had uh, one teacher which was very into behavioral economics, but you didn't have an agenda ec- uh, economic... Uh As a school, we didn't, yeah. Mm-hmm. The
1: only thing we try to do is to constec- contextualize our teaching to, to the extent possible. So, for example, you know, if you are in Georgia, uh, where people, so many people, maybe half the population, is in rural areas, in agriculture... Uh, so we wanted to teach agricultural economics, which is again not something that ec- uh, you would find in a standard economics department. So if you go into a Harvard economics program, um, I, I don't think they will have ec- agricultural economics as a standard for you. Mm. We we did that because we thought it's important. You know, we we are in Georgia, and agriculture is a very big part of what is happening
0: here. But you didn't have a, a stance. Uh Pro government stance, like, you know, which, we, we which for instance is the case in, in Europe, or in France at least. No, no, absolutely. Uh, by the way, we started in 2011,
1: so four years into the school's existence, we started a, uh, a something we call the ISET Policy Institute, which is essentially a think tank. Uh, we, it was a great idea because it, it gave something else for the school, another product. You know, you don't want to have one product, you want to have multiple products. Sometimes one product is doing better than the other, you know, so you can, from the business perspective as well, it's good to diversify. And that that uh, gave us much more visibility in the community, in the society, because, you know, all of a sudden it's not just your students, it's also the things that you say, the things that you write. Uh, I became a very uh, active blogger at the time. We started putting out uh, short pieces, uh, opinions. Try to explain things, th- try to advocate for things, and sometimes very often we uh, became critical of government, uh, which is not easy sometimes, you know. I remember if you want, I can go into specific examples. I remember one particular case in 2012 when we put out a report that Georgia's main uh, constraint for economic development, was uh, something we call property rights or lack of protection of property rights uh, in a broad sense and this was an election year 2012 so this was the end of the saakashvili era and, uh, and you,
0: you, you published this report before the
1: election before the election mm-hmm. yeah we didn't have an agenda as i said so it was an objective academic study we went through a whole bunch of uh, analysis Trying to understand what is the binding constraint you know what keeps Georgia from growing faster, and the conclusion we came to is that it was a, a risky place and it was a risky place because your property or your property rights were not sufficiently well protected uh, and uh, that that brought us into direct clash with the government at the time
0: hmm. so basically it was not. It was an infrastructural uh, problem which is a legal uh problem and and also political because that's the political change the law so but i think the the case would be made the same today and <laughs> what what was happening back in 2012 that told you yeah. that there is a lack of the the property right is not strong enough
1: you know we looked at objective indicators like interest rates um, and we saw that the risk premium uh, it's just too high, and that was one of the key uh, indicators for us. You know, the, the risk premium uh, that the banks and uh, other institutions sort of operated, assume, assumed at the time, was, was way higher than um, would be justified at the time. And that was the, the, that was the economic analysis behind. But what was really going on at the time in, in the economy was that there was a lot of, um, you know, there was a political... War, I would say, there was a real war going on. Uh, This was the end of the Sakashvili era. The government at the time, Misha at the time, was trying to do everything possible to stay in power. The other side was doing everything possible to undermine them, and uh, this went into, you know, lots of different. uh, You know, the war was real. I mean, some businesses uh, were expropriated at the time. The just the justice system was manipulated. Um, yeah, so y- it was it was uh, not an easy period for Georgia.
0: I have two things. Uh, was it at that time also that there was a lot of Iranians, a lot of Israeli coming here in the country and buying a lot of lands and speculating on the price of the lands, um, and o- and also right after, uh, lots of people are, de- are depicting uh, the me mi- uh, the Sakashvili era either good or bad and without any nuances, but.
1: Uh, let's start with the second question because this is this this one. I would uh, I, I have a much more balanced view. Mm-hmm. I lived through the second half of Misha's rule, so I wasn't here in 2003, 2004 when he came to power. Um, but I, I I I when I came, I saw the results mm-hmm. of his actions and uh, not only his personal actions. Of course, there was a whole bunch of people working with him. Uh, and clearly, uh, I, one has to say to to his credit and to the credit of his team that the country was difficult to recognize. You know, in in three to four years, the first phase, uh, it was a super uh, attractive place. You know, just you know everybody know about the the, the 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 signature reforms. You know, the firing of the entire police force. You know the uh, the radical deregulation, when in just a few months they they have you know abolished all of these ridiculous regulations that were in place, you know from you know licensing of so many activities to environmental standards and whatnot, things that we sh- normally we should care about, but they were used for corruption. So the only the only use of these regulations under the old regime. Was to extract, you know, bribes from from businesses from people. They served no purpose, and uh, within the next within the first few months, you know, using the window of opportunity, the the, the, the Im- amazing Im- immense trust that they had, they were elected uh, by an overwhelming majority in 2004. So they used this opportunity to completely clean the slate. Um, and so that, that is something that will forever stay to their credit. The problem was, of course, that they, uh, they had to use very radical means to achieve their aims. So they, they wanted to fight corruption and mafia and crime. And they re-engineered the, the legal system, the police system, so that it served this particular purpose. So the prosecution, for example, at the time, was doing only one thing. You know, it was essentially... You know, anybody you put in jail at the time had no choice but to admit to whatever crimes mm. he or she did or, or did, did not. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the the system was very clever about it. Yeah, yeah, you know, people were just given no choice whatsoever. Uh, the there was very little probability of you getting acquitted in court. You wouldn't. There was n- very little chance of getting actual justice at the time. Whatever the prosecution requested it was granted by the courts. 99.9 something uh, cases. I mean, this is not statistics that I'm inventing. I mean, these are well... These are the real statistics. These are the real uh, real numbers at the time. So, you know, and again, once crime and mafia were defeated, uh, what they should have done, they should have relaxed these regulations, these rules of the game. They should have gone back to normalcy, to a situation when people are not you know, the, when presumption of innocence is actually preserved. And uh, they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And that was a big mistake. So by the end of their rule, by 2011 to 2012, any, every family in Georgia had somebody in jail. You know, any family you go to, you speak to, they had the member of the family jailed. You know, Georgia was, I think, number three in the world in the in the percentage of, Prison population per capita. It was after some islands in the Pacific. I think the top, uh, like Nauru, I, mean, I don't remember I, I now the exact names of the islands. Uh, these are places from where people cannot escape, I guess. Mm. Uh, Georgia was number three. Wow. So that's not a place you want to be in. Mm. Yeah. So this is the balance. You see, you, you have the fantastic achievements early on, and then they should have adjusted. They should have gone back to more normal ways of ruling. And they didn't do the adjustment. Mm-hmm. They just continued bulldozing the country as if they have a mandate to continue doing so, as if they were gods. Mm-hmm. But they were not. They were humans. They made terrible mistakes. Mm-hmm. And they were punished.
0: But still, you know, I, I think Misha was uh, crucial. Is, I mean, definitely he was crucial. There's no question about that crucial modernizing the country and of course when you're building a society from what what Georgia was before uh, before 2003 i mean i guess you i guess you had no no choice but to make it uh, brutally I, I don't i don't i don't see you know i don't see how we could have done differently now again when w- once once he was uh you know s- when the country was set up the infrastructure were set up i mean why continuing i guess this is when it is, is start to become more of a, a crazy, uh, uh, crazy run.
1: You know, I we we can have a, debi- a debate about that. You know, the how much brutality uh, could be justified uh, in the pursuit of mo- modernizing a country? You know, there are ma- enough examples historically of uh, brutal uh, reformers. You know, uh, top-down reformers. Uh, and uh, j- history is not very kind to those guys, you know. Uh, sometimes it is kind. Uh, you will find examples of top-down reformers who went down in history and uh, as as reformers,
0: like who, like on you. Uh,
1: let's not go into names, <laughs> but you know, you you you, ha- you have examples of uh, su- such such people. Um, so, how much brutality? And when to stop? It's, it's a complicated question. By the way, uh, I, I, am I have a very objective, balanced view of Georgian history, even before Saakashvili. So people tend to think that Shevardnadze did nothing for the country. That's, n- that's an absolute falsehood. Mm. You know, he took a country in the uh, early 90s that was completely broken. Mm. It was into a war, into a civil war. It was going through a self-destruction. And he managed to, p- to put the pieces together, you mm-hmm. know. So that is something that, uh, again, uh, he deserves a lot of credit for stopping the war and starting, starting building the country, right? Not really maybe not engaging in any sort of liberal reforms. That comes later. But just keeping it as a country because it was about to, to completely collapse. Mm-hmm. And people were, you know, at each other's th- throats.
0: But that that comes down to what you were saying uh, uh, before that Georgians tend to be very emotional, and when you're emotional, you tend to see things as just black or white. Absolutely. And uh, of course, Chevarnadze uh, probably did some great great things. I'm sure of it. Actually, Misha did great things, and frankly, Georgian Dream also did great things. Yep. And. And but here, if you say if you say things like this here, nobody is going to uh, yeah, like no. it. You know, it's, Extremely either, you're black and white. Yeah, it's Extremely either you're in their camp yeah. or the other camp. And you know, for instance, when I see uh, what uh Kaladze uh, is doing with the city, frankly, I'm, I think it's good. I mean, there are lots of traffic and things like that. But you know, he's modernizing the city. It looks much much more like a European city now. Uh, if you look, uh, is Costava Costava Street Costava Street uh, Chavchavadze Chavchavadze. and also or um, um Avlava is, is very yeah, very well yeah, renovated yeah, now yeah. i like it yes i and like you know it you too. you walk there it feels good uh you feel good, maybe a little bit too much traffic yes but you know let, let's let's give them the time also to figure things out yeah
1: and to adjust yeah and people will adjust behavior will adjust you as, know, well. I, as an economist, I can tell you that uh, it's it's almost like an axiom in urban economics that uh, people are very flexible in in the way in which they use streets so if you make them very wide for example it's it's not necessarily true that you will have less uh, traffic jams Mm. now if streets are very wide it's like inviting everybody to drive Mm -hmm. to work using his or her private car it's an invitation to drive And so then everybody drive, and and because everybody drive, it's still, you know, uh, you get into these amazing traffic jams. So it doesn't really help. So the ways to, 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 to handle traffic in the city are not about expanding streets. It's about doing actually the opposite, perhaps, and, you know, making people pay for using their private vehicles, whether through parking fees, congestion fees, you know, making... Uh, making maybe fuel more expensive you know, charge an excise tax so this, and and making public transportation better so this is what uh, can help in the end um, improve the quality of life in cities
0: Uh, How do you see the evolution of uh, uh, Georgian uh, political economic uh, field over the last uh, 10 years, so can you just take us back until when are you the president of? Uh, 2018. 2018, right before. But I'm still here, and you're still here. Yes, I'm still around. Yes, yeah. So I,
1: I do observe, of course. Uh huh. Um, so you want my opinion?
0: Yeah, your, your your opinion as an economist, as someone who lived lived here, still live here as well.
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, Georgia. It's an interesting. Very interesting question, you know, how Georgia will evolve as a country from the economic perspective, living alone uh, politics. And, and, and as you rightly said, they have an aversion towards manual uh, jobs, jobs that involve, for example, manufacturing. And so, but, but if you don't do manufacturing, the question is, what else do you do? Uh, and that, that is an open question, you know, so you can do. Uh, you can have a fantastic banking system, which Georgia actually has. I think it has the best banking system in the entire post-Soviet space. Mm. If you look at profitability, if you look at, you know, the 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 quality of services that you get, the digital aspect, everything, uh, and in terms of the cushions they have, you know, like that, it's a very well, very liquid, very very safe banking system right now, and it has been like that. So, you know, but banking. It's supposed to be just intermediation between people, you know, it just provides a service, uh, transferring money from those who have too much of it to those who want to invest, yeah? So this is what the banking system is supposed to be doing. Uh, if, uh, if the banking system is so profitable, you know, you ask yourself the question, you know, why do, why do you need uh, such a mighty intermediation industry? Mm-hmm. <laughs> know, who is, in the end, at the end of the day, some, somebody has to produce stuff, right? Yes. So who is going to produce stuff here? Mm. So the, you know, Georgia has certain natural resources, but very limited, of course. Uh, so that employs a few thousand people. Yeah, it, it does generate a bit of exports. Uh, but other than that, there's agriculture and tourism. And these are, the problem with agriculture and tourism is that there, there's a limited potential for growth. And they are also very unstable and risky, like COVID.
0: Because of seasonality. And seasonality
1: yeah. and, and shocks, other sh- shocks. So mm-hmm. For example, if you have a global recession, tourism will suffer the most because when people don't have money in other countries, they, won't, they will not spend it on tourism. They will spend it on essential stuff, on food on necessities. So countries that build themselves uh, solely on tourism, they go bust. They go into a, a very deep recession. Agriculture, uh, there's a, you, know, you, c- you have a limited amount of land. Of course, you can improve your irrigation systems. You can I- improve the techniques that you use to, to, to cultivate the land and whatnot. But still, you are limited in how much you can produce because it's agriculture. So the only uh, sector of the economy that can have limitless growth is, is manufacturing. Uh, and knowledge economy. So you can have a lot of programmers uh, that will be sitting and creating, you know, new software, uh, new applications, whatnot. That has no limit. Maybe this is the future of Georgia. I don't know. Uh, but uh, f- for the moment, it's a it's a big question mark for me.
0: Mm. I, we, we are doing a series of videos uh, with Sakharov Insight about. Uh, crafters Mm. and people who are doing high-end crafts Mm. so for instance we had a a girl uh, her company is named Lampino she's uh, producing some very beautiful lamps that are uh, taking the designs of uh, Georgian balconies Mm -hmm. it's very refined it's very beautiful it mixes the Georgian culture with the useful product you know you can add it as an accent light and things like that uh it's very refined it's very delicate can be used as a gift when you come here in the country get somewhere else you know it it takes a, a part of the country outside of the country which is also a diplomatic advertising uh you know cultural soft power type of uh yeah amazing type of thing so and that's really the thing that we want to promote here and just to say that it's not a shame to work with your hands it's a good thing to work with your hand, and uh, you know, look at uh, Switzerland. Uh, Switzerland have uh, has a very, very developed manufacturing uh, industry, but they're doing the best type of uh, manufacturing, the more most precise. Of course, they are. They have the watches and everything. Georgia doesn't have to go this way, uh, like uh, you know, super, super high end. But it needs to find its manufacturing, you know, niche.
1: Yeah. No, I I absolutely agree with you, first of all. And uh, Georgia does have um, special and rather unique uh, specializations in crafts. Enamel, for example, uh, which they do very well, and they have amazing artistic uh, talent. The best, yes. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, They have amazing... Anything to do with plastic, plastic arts, uh, like sculpture, I think Georgians are maybe top of the world you know you, you have so much talent here it's it's a it's a matter of you know organizing it mm. i had a chat with uh, Kacha bendukidze um late Kacha bendukidze a long time ago maybe seven eight years ago i know you recently interviewed his daughter yes anastasia and we discussed this very question you know what is the future of, of georgia's economy and we were talking about crafts uh, which he found, uh, indeed, uh, uh, in which there is a lot of potential, uh, according to Caja, And he, he told me at the time that, you know, we have all this talent. The thing that we don't have, we don't have the skills right now, at least, to manage it. To manage it, to bring it to, to, the, to the global market. Um, to brand it properly, you know, to m- handle, you know, exhibitions. To essentially export our know-how, our arts, to 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 the world, to the rest of the world. And at the time he actually started a school, no, he has his own university, the free university. He started a school that was exactly geared towards producing this kind of talent, Mm -hmm. the management of arts. Oh interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really impressed by his thinking along these lines. He never believed for a minute in Georgia's manufacturing capability. (laughs) no he never l- thought of georgia as being sort of competing with china mm-hmm. sure. so yeah but he thought that georgia does have certain special areas in which it could evolve but just with proper management
0: hmm. Hmm. so uh, to go back to the question so y- you see you see the potential of uh, of uh, agriculture uh, do you see the potential of of services and Eventually,
1: agriculture uh, absolutely. Um, you know, again, given that Georgia does have a, a, its own niche in, in agriculture, whatever number of varieties of, of grapes and wines, you know, this is of course, and cheeses, maybe, and maybe some other stuff. Uh, this is very special. It's, uh, it's an established brand, maybe not recognized in France yet, but certainly in uh, a large part of Eurasia, um, Georgia is a fantastic brand. You know, Borjomi. You know, I was told uh, by some people people with knowledge is like the Coca Cola of uh, the former Soviet Union. You know, it has an amazing p- uh, recognition and 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 value as a brand. And and so is uh, Georgia as a country, by the way, as a whole. I mean, it has a, ma- a tremendous appeal to lots of people in in the large sort of Eurasian area. And <coughs> and so are the wines and some other types of uh, Georgian agricultural products, mandarins and you name it. So there is a lot of potential there. Uh, it can be cultivated in a much more efficient way. You know, the products can be handled much better in terms of logistics, transportation, packaging, and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but it's not going to carry Georgia, you know, to become uh, a rich country. I mean, this uh, this is good for employment, for a lot of people, in fact, but again, Georgia needs also something else, like tech, like maybe fa- uh, fashion, like maybe special types of you know crafts uh, that can be scaled up. Uh, th- this would take Georgia maybe much higher up.
0: Do you see? Do you see the tech uh, really going on here? Do you see the tech environment being able to to push Georgia forward? I I think so.
1: I think so. You know, I, uh, I don't want to say Georgia uh, benefited from the war now that is going on. I mean, uh, it's hard to say, you know, it's not hard, it's easy to say, but it, it's a little bit unfair yeah, that you, you benefit from other, other people's suffering. But what, what is going on right now is that Georgia has become a refuge, a place where the IT people of the world, if you wish, come and unite. Uh, So we have uh, a tremendous influx of uh, mostly IT, I would say. I don't know the exact number. It could be 100,000, maybe with families included, but it's a very significant uh, increase. Georgia is doing some special things to uh, attract uh, such people, to provide tax incentives, uh, a single window sort of treatment, Uh, provide uh, other types of assistance to attract both companies uh, to move their R&D units to move their developers uh, and also individuals so if you are a freelance um, developer you can easily operate out of Georgia you can even officially register uh, and and pay very little tax uh, on your income so you can be legitimately here get all the support, pay very little tax. And the thing is, it's good for the country because these people consume, they pe- these people de- develop certain technologies, but it be- goes beyond it because they also employ. I, I know from Uzbekistan, the country where I work right now, si- similar story, by the way. There's an aspect of the same story going on also in Central Asia. And so uh, foreign com- com- companies, that IT companies, that now registered in Uzbekistan, the, the percentage of people, local people employed is 70%. So 30%, maybe the top, the, the, the higher skill guys, they are, let's say, outsiders, uh, expats. 70% are uh, locally employed. Creates a lot of demand. And once there is demand, uh, you will also find a lot, a lot of young people, and maybe not so young people, trying to uh, get the right qualifications and so what you then have to do is to make sure that these people have the opportunities to learn so as a government you can maybe subsidize or otherwise support educational initiatives uh, not university degrees not necessarily but you know, shorter programs six mm. months, nine mm. months uh, one year of study uh, certainly for basic coding that, that's enough
0: what challenges the, the most important challenges do you see uh, for Georgia in, in the context of the region as well? Because a lot of people, you know, criticize Georgia, <laughs> but uh, when you look around, I, I, you know, I think Georgia is way, way, way uh, more advanced. I, I, no, I think it, dep- ma- it depends on the sector, yeah, depends yeah, yeah. on the sector. But look, I,
1: I say something very fundamental, you know, Georgia for many, many Europeans that I know, French and German and British, Uh, It's a free country. You know, it has an amazing allure, an amazing attraction, just because it has very few regulations, especially when it comes to personal life. So it's a a place where it's inexpensive also. It's secure. It's safe. No crime, almost no crime. Uh, And at the same time, it's very, very free. So if you care about freedom as an individual... Uh, personal life, professional life, you come to Georgia, and uh, I, I, I fear that this kind of freedom may be lost because of external pressure. Because there's a lot of pressure on Georgia to establish European-style regulations. Mm, interesting. It started long ago. You know, when Georgia first deregulated radically, as I said, uh, ever since there was pressure from the outside to come up with regulations, regulations, mm-hmm, regulations. Mm-hmm. Some of it may be justified. But I think Georgia is a free country because it's in their genetics, you know, almost, you know, they suck it with their milk, they suck it with the, their milk, the freedom, you know, the, the, the mountains, Go, going back to this metaphor, freedom is in the mountains. They have to resist these pressures yes. to the extent possible and to maintain this freedom, yes. this liberty to, 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 to speak and to act, to do business and to be successful.
0: But how how do you how do you uh, do this when you depend on the others so, so much, and you have to compromise so much?
1: You know, uh, sometimes I, I can give you concrete examples. Uh, how you know what the kind of mistakes that have been committed in the past and the kind of wise behavior that I observed here. So let let's say in 2008, 2009, still Saakashvili years. I remember having discussions with the, with the government, prime minister's office, a- about what is going on here, the assistance that Georgia was getting from the likes of USAID, uh, the Euro- European Union. And so, for example, there was always this idea coming from, uh, let's say, the, the European Union or USAID together, that Georgia needs civil service reforms, very similar uh, treatment, uh, as it would be elsewhere. Or, you know, regulations, the, the things that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and Georgians pushed back. So the government, Prime Minister's office, was able to push
0: back. Interesting.
1: Yeah. It, this doesn't happen very often. You know, you go to a dependent, aid dependent country, like I, uh, that of the kind that I, I now work in, like Kyrgyzstan, or Uzbekistan for that matter, there's much less resistance. You know, when uh, USAID says you have to do this and that and, and pay for it, and pays for it, countries just follow. And they mm. tick off all the boxes and they do whatever they're told. You know They reform their laws exactly as they're being told. They don't have the ability, the skill to resist, uh, because sometimes you have to. So that's one example that is positive. The other example that's super negative is 2014. It's already a different administration. Uh, they wanted to, to get the visa-free regime with, with the European Union. This was the big deal at the time. 2013, 2012, 2014, they wanted the, the visa-free regime. And the European Union said, guys, if you want the visa-free regime, you have to reform your migration uh, legislation, your migration uh, regulations. And so the, the, the Georgians at the time, I don't know who was in charge, The Georgians at the time decided, let's be, uh, uh, how do you say it, more Catholic than the Pope. Mm. So let's copy-paste, I don't know, Irish or some other British regulations and put this exactly the same migration uh, regulations in place in Georgia. And so they enacted this, this exactly migration regime here on the 1st of September, 2014. And the country stopped. The country stopped because... All of a sudden, you 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 couldn't bring your expat engineer, your expat CEO, your expat CFO, your expat professor of economics, you know, or t- or students, you know. All of a sudden, you Georgia has a lot of Indian or Pakistani or wi- whichever students, or even Armenian and Azeri students in my school. All of a sudden, you cannot bring them. Mm. They have to apply for visas. They can only stay for three months. After three months, they have to leave. And they cannot stand, uh, stay more than uh, 90 days within a 180-day period, period. All these regulations uh, have been put in place. You had to apply. If you are already in Georgia, you had to go to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which was not even you know, equipped to deal with that. You had to go to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and get a special visa thing. Long queues. Nobody knows how to handle it. For nine months, we lived with this nightmare. And then, you know, when the country completely stopped, almost I would say, uh, somebody in the government decided let's not do it anymore. And so they, they, they went back and cancelled. Went back to the previous liberal regime.
0: You know, the meta-analysis of this, and it's a very n- interesting dynamic uh, here, and it teaches a lot. I'll give you an example. Uh, in Europe, you know, the countries are so big and so established that before you feel the r- the... the the impact of a measure, whether it's political or economic, it takes, time. It takes a lot of time. So you don't and, and you don't relate the your condition, your present condition, with with the present uh, with the previous uh, decisions that were taken. And here, it's immediate. It's immediate, exactly. And it, and it gives a very great insight about how the economy, as an animal, works. Because interesting, then you, you, Interesting point, yeah. Yes, you can see the correlation immediately. Whether in France you say, oh, no, it's not because the government raises tax that we have low, lower unemployment. You know, because you, you can't figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Which was what? Because it, it took too long. You know, the, the system is big. And here it's immediate. So, for instance, here, you know, Russian influx, 200,000 people, I don't know how many. You know, immediately you see the, 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 the currency going up like the the, 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 the Lari yeah. going up, then you can correlate. You know, you don't know why why really the euro goes down or up. It's very hard. It's factor <laughs> Here now you you know you know you. Of I course. mean I mean you have you you can deal with three or four parameters and then say okay this is one of them. So uh, here uh, you know living here is very uh, it teaches a lot. About real economy, like you know uh, and, and that's why I guess you also i mean uh,
1: look i mean what, what you said is very interesting i mean it, it, and this this explains many things it's a small country with only three point something million people uh and and even a smaller middle class i mean the middle class is tiny here it's i don't know people have different assessments, but it's probably less than half a million people middle class yeah, and it's a country where you as an expat you can have tremendous impact what you are doing now this podcast uh, that this idea of you know selling georgia to the rest of the world is a super impactful uh, idea and people who come here people like myself people who do business people who are yeah, let's say engineers or teachers these people ev- even a single one, every single one of them can can have a lot of impact. You can actually change things. You know, I have now. Uh, I, I, I didn't count, but I, I know if you look at the Central Bank of Georgia, maybe half of it is my former students. Wow. You know, you go to places like Georgian Gas Energy Regulator. Uh, again, a lot of my students. You know, so uh, I, I know whom to call if I don't have gas there <laughs> when, when I need it. So you, you, can have, uh, you can have a lot of impact. I and mean, again, maybe I'm a special case because, of, because I was not in, in, in education. Uh, you are a, 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 a special case because you're branding the country, uh, which can be tremendously uh, influential. But in a small place like this, every person matters
0: what challenges do you see for georgia now
1: look i mean it's uh it's not just georgia you know it's the, w- the world is going crazy uh we, we are now living in a, in a period of tremendous uncertainty i i honestly don't know what's going to happen next five years you know my job at the e- i work at the ebrd now the european bank for reconstruction and development my job among other things is to provide forecasts uh, uh, luckily, my forecasts are typically one year. Mm-hmm. Luckily, because if you were, if I were asked to provide a five-year or ten-year forecast, uh, I would be scratching my head, uh, not really knowing the answer. It's it's a very very uh, interesting uh, situation. Wh- so for Georgia, as a small place, between between many large players. It's there's, uh, not so much under its own control. Uh, so it, it, it is, it is an, a part of a very complex system of relationships. The EU, the neighbor on the north, Turkey, uh, countries like Iran, Azerbaijan, Armenia, uh, the whole Black Sea region is is, is, uh, is under a lot of pressure right now. So Georgia has to survive. I think this is this is what it is about you know surviving um, trying to not to make mistakes uh, be balanced um, and maintain its freedom mm-hmm. maintain its attraction
0: on, on on which on which parameters do you focus your reasoning to say that there is a lot of uncertainty look uh, we are now living through.
1: A uh, basically a World War Three situation, except that we're not yet shooting at, at each other, but there is a global conf- confrontation going on. Uh, the world is divided into the West and the rest, and um, that the, that that is not a situation you know uh, that you can ba- make safe bets. And, you know, it can explode any time. And uh, militarily, it is already exploding. Economically, yes. the financial global ar- architecture is changing as we speak. You know, currency is it going to be dollar? Is it going to be euro? Is it going to be yuan? Yuan? Is it going to be the lari? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the everything is changing. You know, I cannot get paid now in Georgia. I I, I get paid in Georgia. I'm supposed to be getting uh, getting paid in Georgia. I cannot get paid because the Deutsche Bank is no longer operating in Georgia. It it withdrew because of very high compliance costs. You didn't know that. So my bank, I will not name it, doesn't have a correspondent correspondent bank in, in Europe anymore.
0: And you can't be paid in a Georgian bank.
1: I cannot be paid in a in Georgian bank in dollars. and in you, can, you have
0: to be paid in euro.
1: In euro is still possible, uh-huh. but I'm paid in British pounds uh-huh. and it doesn't work. So I'm, I'm volunteering for the last
0: uh, two months. Oh, wow. That's okay. But it stacks up and then you you'll get it, right? Yeah, I'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> I can survive. <laughs> and, uh, but
1: this is just an illustration of... Uh-huh compliance fees compliance are getting very expensive yeah because because of the war yeah. Huh. yeah so but again this this is just one small aspect but uh but h- how do you prepare how d- how
0: do you you know times of ur- of uncertainty basically means potential for chaos that's what it means right that's exactly what it is yeah uh how do you prepare <laughs> how, how how do you like because if there is chaos, you need somehow to anticipate a solution in terms of chaos, and it depends on the magnitude of the chaos, of course. Like if it's total chaos, then I mean, whatever you do is, you know, a asteroid comes, then nothing. But it depends on the magnitude of the chaos, and uh, and if it's manageable, how do you expect to to manage it? Yeah.
1: No, I, I honestly don't don't have a good answer. Okay. Yeah. Because maybe it's not manageable. May, maybe the kind of the kind of uncertainty where, where it's, not, I don't even know, call it uncertainty, but the, the, the magnitude of the fluctuations that we're likely to see the, the of of the shock that we're likely to experience uh, soon is gonna be such that it will be very difficult to buy insurance. No, typically you would want to buy insurance uh, against uh, un- uncertain events but uh, here i don't know who will uh, you know where where do you go to buy such insurance is it gold is it uh, real estate is it
0: uh yeah but real estate is uh, is only is only an in insurance if the system on which is based which is the law and order and property rights is still there meaning absolutely. that the government still exists absolutely <sighs> Because so then anybody else can come and pick it up, uh, take it by force, if there is not the, the law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but of do you believe that in the West, the institutions are strong enough to serve to survive a a, a big impact like a like a world war? just your uh, your your um, gut feeling, your your intuition, not so much, mm. not so much. I don't think
1: so. Know, it's very uh, I think that the politics in the West are extremely fragile. I mean, we kind of forgot about it, because we had a lot of stability in the last 70 years, 70 odd years. But uh, go ba- going back to pre-war, pre-World War II period, you know, c- politics in Europe was chaos. Institutions in, in Europe were incapable of handling anything. And that's why we had the World War Two. We had the World War II precisely because, uh, you know, democratic politics of uh, Europe at the time and the in its institutions were incapable of delivering law, order, stability, development, prosperity, nothing of the kind. And that's why we, we had the rise of, you know, fascists, not only in Germany, you know, we had, and, and communists, fascists and communists, you know, we're rising to power everywhere in Europe precisely because Europe bec- it turned out to be extremely fragile, and I wouldn't rule out a, a similar development now.
0: Don't you think that Georgia is much better equipped to face mm, this type of, uh, of, of 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 chaos better than the West, because it has it like less than 30 years ago well in in europe you know people they they they, they, tend to, they have forgotten it and when you forget and when you forget it then you reproduce the mistake that were that you you reproduce you make mistakes that are then leading to this chaos right
1: it is that uh and it's the degree of sophistication uh which uh, perhaps counterintuitively makes you and i'm talking about sophistication in in politics that is the complexity of politics how you make decisions the complexity of your economy you know how interdependent every everyone is in the economy like in in a complex economy uh there is a very high degree of specialization so companies you know totally depend on each other uh people forget you know how to do the whole task don't nobody has the skill, you know, to do you know, the whole thing. And so everyone knows how to do a small piece of it, highly specialized. It's very efficient from the economic perspective, but it's very fragile. So if order breaks, if the order order don't. breaks down, these things disintegrate quickly. Quickly. And in, and they lead to catastrophic results. Because nobody remembers how to make decisions sim- in a simple way? You know, nobody remembers how to operate, you know, your family or your business in an autonomous fashion. Here we are much more, much closer to the basics. You know, much closer. Uh, so the the kind of chaos that is likely to uh, develop elsewhere, we we will be going. We will be not falling all the way. I mean, the, the, we will be falling, but not. There will be less vertical. Uh, so we will be able to go back to agriculture, Just to our farms, uh, to growing our own food, to supplying our own needs, mm. uh, in ways that
0: will be less catastrophic. It sounds apocalyptic, but it depends on the magnitude of the depends uh, on uh, the magnitude uh, 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 of yeah. the shock. Yeah, uh, let's hope. Yeah, that, that we are not into
1: this scenario, but if something like that happens.
0: Now, Eric, uh, what about now? What What is it you're doing right now? You went to Uzbekistan. You know the region well. Actually, you, you know the whole Caucasus very well. Uh, you know the Middle East quite well coming from Israel. I mean, you know the, the, the dynamics there. And now you're in Uzbekistan. So that's the Central, Asia. You call Central, it Central Asia. Central Asia, yeah. the heart yeah. of it. Yes, Central Asia. So what is it you're doing there and what what are the the interesting things that you're seeing there as well well what I'm doing
1: is maybe not as exciting as what I used to be doing in Georgia I would love to g- come back actually mm-hmm. uh, maybe uh, I'll, I'll I'll be able to move within the bank uh, to Georgia Great. and the Caucasus. something I'm trying to to to, uh, to make it happen yeah uh, <coughs> but Uzbekistan and Central Asia as a whole is also very exciting uh it's uh it used to be uh isolated from the rest of the world uh, up until 2016 roughly uh it was developing in a very sort of autonomous way Uh, they had a very special type as a president Um, and uh they opened up all of a sudden in 2016 late 2016 Mm -hmm. 2017 started opening up you know from Free exchange of the currency, starting with that, you know, trading with the rest of the world, inviting investors, inviting uh, people like myself to come. Uh, it's not yet Georgia from the liberal liberalization point of view. It's, it's a country that is managed top-down, mm-hmm. much more so, and will con- continue to be managed top-down. But something special about Uzbekistan, it has tremendous... Um, Uh, traditions Uh, it has some of the most uh, special ancient cities in its territory like Samarkand Bukhara, Hiva Um, the Fergana Valley is a a place a very special place uh, on the ancient Silk Road Uh, they have traditions very special ones they have arts and crafts Mm -hmm. um, that are again unique to Uzbekistan uh, it's a country with tremendous uh, manufacturing capacity. The people do have manual skills and they, they are very well organized. So now you have they get a lot of investment in uh, manufacturing. For example, textile. Uh, they have a lot of producers now, global producers. You know. I believe just now uh, a first uh, uh, Uzbek company was contracted by Hugo Boss mm. to produce for them. Uh, but they are they are, they are doing very well, uh, and uh, they're seeing growth even in the m- even now, and in COVID times they've been growing, and they maintain the momentum, and uh, I believe uh, I'm a strong believer in Uzbekistan's potential. This is really the historical um, center of Central Asia. Uh, you know, other countries like Kazakhstan, early on had had oil that pushed them ahead, but I think now Uzbekistan will, will be catching up.
0: Mhm. it's and a big country you told me last time
1: 35 36 million yeah, people so
0: good, good good size country
1: good size yeah, yeah. and very young as well so mm-hmm. it's a very young population
0: wow. yeah young and hard working yeah the the setup is very very good can you explain Tbilisi nomic right Tbilisi nomics uh, yeah t-bilinomics. can you explain uh you know, you what know
1: when t- I, when i resigned from ISET i was a little bit fed up in fact with the textbook economics. And I thought I wanted to do a little bit more, uh, slightly different stuff. So I came up with this name, Billynomics, And Billy means warm. You know it. Yes, I know. Yes, yeah, so I wanted to have a warm kind of economics, oh. which is more about people. Uh, maybe not behavioral, as, but it's more concerned with, you know, everyday life of people, development. That was very important for me, how people develop in terms mm. of education, health things like that so i wanted to go into tho- these areas and have my own consulting um, um, and uh, i w- i did it for about a year and most of my focus was on education in fact so i did a couple of very interesting projects including starting a f- uh, helping start a finnish international school here in tbilisi uh, finnish finnish uh-huh. finland, finland yeah. yeah wow that was a fantastic experience learning what, what was the project uh, about starting an actual uh, school school, school? Yeah. Any elementary school? Yeah. Uh, it's elementary school well you know you start a school with elementary uh-huh. you enroll young kids and as time progresses you in, you know they grow up so you open new classes mm. That that's the model the business oh okay interesting you, you don't start all 12 uh, classes right away uh-huh. you start with elementary that's private school it's a private school um you know, in Finland, uh, it's typically public, actually, mm. and uh, you would all, all schools are public.
0: V- uh, very, very high quality of education there.
1: It is, but you know, it, uh, do you know anything about about Finnish education?
0: Yeah, about Finland, uh, yes. My my sister actually made an internship there in 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 uh, Finland. In uh, what was the name? In Oulu, Oulu. Yes. Oulu so University.
1: So uh, I went there. I haven't been to to, to Oulu. I went to um, uh, to another place, mm-hmm. uh, the happiest place in the world, actually.
0: But happiest, but very high. Tempera. Uh, s- ah, tempera, but very high s- uh, suicide rate as well. Uh, the no. Depression. Dep- de- sorry, depression rate. Seriously. Yes, because of the sun. Depression. Because of the sun, and oh. my sister explained to me explained to me that uh, you know the, the the school made everything. They could to make their students happier, yeah you know, with like a, a gym, colors. yes colored gym in the gym in the in the school. You know, you have very very healthy um food. Uh, food yes. You know, like with grains and nuts and things like that, because you know when you don't see the sun. I mean, for me, is is the case. If I don't so see the sun, you're saying
1: that winter time they're depressed. That's what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's true. You know, they're, it's quite dark. Yeah. Uh, in winter time, so may, maybe people go into depression. A lot of them uh, eat the vitamin. What, what mm-hmm. vitamin D? D. Yeah, they, they, there's a lot of vitamin D consumption in, the sc- in Scandin- Scandinavia yeah. Yeah. in general. But uh, you know, there are all these happiness surveys around the world. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Happiness service like a happiness
0: index. Ah, yes, the happening index. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yes, so and they come on top of all the. They time. always yeah. come on top, yeah. and
1: Finland is on top of sc- Scandinavia. In mm. Tampere, the, the city I visited came on top of Finland uh-huh. so I, I visited the, the, the happiest uh, city uh, or place on earth uh, but the thing about Finnish education just to finish the my, my point is that it's maybe not about, it's not about excellence it's not about excellence it's about making sure that every student uh, you know, including the mediocre student and the weak student get the support that they need so this is what the, the Finnish education is really about
0: so it's basically raising up the average it's raising the average yeah. not like in Singapore and ha- or having top top yeah, top. yeah,
1: yeah. it's definitely uh, completely de- you know devoted focused on uh, raising the level at the bottom mm. this is what the Finnish education does it's very inclusive uh, in that way there are many uh, you know kids are not excluded like if you know if you have uh, uh if you are challenged, as they say now, in the, uh, you 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 will get the support that you need, and you will not be put in a separate group. Mm-hmm. You will get the support that you need within the general mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. class. Yeah.
0: Uh, I would like to talk about an experience that you had uh, in France, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just to put it in perspective compared to uh, what's going on here in Georgia, especially. To, uh, yeah. So.
1: Well, here in Georgia, it's very different. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm actually worried about it because uh, you have a lot of very good quality private schools, in, in international schools in particular, very strong. Like my kids went to the French school here, um, which is a very, very uh, sort of elite institution in a way, uh, in many ways. Uh, but the problem is, of course, that the, such institutions, they, uh, you know, they uh, suck off the, 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 be the best talent. Uh, so if you take like the whole population of Georgia, I don't know what the size of an age cohort it can be, I don't know fifty thousand. So a, a very small percentage is in, enrolled in those private schools. They get everything that they need. You know they speak fantastic English, French, German, whatever whichever language. Uh, they are in, in a society in a bubble. You know of the of other well-off kids. And what about the rest? Mm. So you are talking about a society that is divided essentially, and mm. the, the gap is only getting wider mm. because the public schools are way, way, way behind, especially in rural areas, and you know, the, the Kutaisi and whichever small town.
0: You know, I often say, and you understand why I'm saying this, I often say that the only responsibility of the government is to make their constituent believe that everything's possible. And once they've done that, they've done their job. What I mean by that is that I think the only role of the government should be to help their citizens understand that they're on their own, they're responsible, but that anything is possible. Like, true? How do you do that? Uh, I think just campaigns. Campaigns, 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 campaigns. uh, Campaigns can take different forms. But wha- I'm saying this because it doesn't matter if you are... I mean, what I'm saying is true here and now. I mean, in our societies where information is everywhere for free or almost free. It was not... Th- my idea not, was not valid 20, uh, 30 years ago. But now it is. Now it's valid. Everybody has a phone. Everybody. Yeah. It's no, not information th- is there. So, so th- if the information is there, then you need to have the will to get the information. Because I'm sure that on internet, you have uh, all the information that is uh, given to private school. Maybe you don't have the network. Definitely you don't have the network. But you know, uh, at the end of the day, value and skills, they may take longer to, um, uh, how to say, to, 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 to to concretize, but they will. Yeah, to materialize. I to guess. materialize, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're a great, great, if you're a great boxer, for instance, it doesn't matter if you didn't have the, uh, the right equipment and things like that. If you play enough games, you will come on top at the end. If you have the skills, you know. So, yeah, no, I, 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 take your point. Yeah,
1: I take your point, but uh, I, you know, in order for people to believe, uh, in their own ability to achieve, to realize their own potential to understand that they have potential, and then to realize it. I think uh, there is one thing that uh, has to happen, the one condition to be met. And this, this, this condition is, uh, I don't necessarily want to define it as uh, early education, You know, what, whatever it is. You, know, you have to expose kids to something they may not observe in their immediate environment. And how do you do that? no i i did a tedx talk um, a couple of years ago more than a couple about a village in which kids would essentially see no hope for themselves you know they would go to a school that was absolutely uninspiring and they would uh, quit it you know halfway through girls would get married at age 15 and stay at home for the rest of their lives you know forgetting about their potential forgetting about that the the idea even of realizing their, their potential. So they become mothers and wives, you know, that, that was it. And the guys go and get some some shitty jobs just because there was no alternative inside. So the, the story I was telling in this um, TEDx talk was not a story of negativity. It was actually a story about how you give hope to such kids. And there was, there was a story about a foundation here in Georgia called the MAC, Mac Foundation for Children that actually engaged with such communities. Using help of volunteers and uh, using uh, extracurricular activities as a as a, as a as a as the mechanism to expose kids to completely new role models uh, provide them with a tiny bit of funding you know to f- if they get admitted into a school a university to pay for their tuition you know uh, that was it uh, and that completely changed the mentality and uh, and people started working much harder i mean kids started working much harder to in because they understood that if they if they start work working harder they will be able to achieve results uh, it's a, an amazing story
0: basically they are trying to change the self-image They may not call it this way but co- changing the self-image and yes i agree you change the self-image when you see somebody who went through the things that you are going through but yes a- and bypassed th- it. being successful yes yes, yes. and, and We have two objectives with Sakharov inside. The first one is, I mean, not in order, but we have two objectives. First one is broadcasting uh, the country outside so that we can bring skills and capital here, uh, to bring clarity so that people can take the right decisions here. But the second, and I think the most important is, uh, you know, I saw when I arrived here, I tried to um, um, diagnose, if I can say like this, um, for for what it's worth, but what what is the issue that causes all the other issues hmm. and i i in my opinion is uh, is the lack of self esteem hmm. of young people especially hmm. there is a lot of pride but very low self esteem hmm. now pride is thinking you can do everything
1: hmm.
0: and self esteem is knowing you can do something hmm. Thinking doesn't lead to action, but knowing leads to action. Hmm. Like, just... And... Uh, that's why, for instance, we are... Uh, we the goal of psychology is to inspire. When you see someone who came from the same m- m- background that you did, speak in English, already give you some insight of, okay, what should I do? Right. Uh, for instance, we interview a, a friend of mine, Georgi uh, Tanadze, uh, 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 He's born in, uh, I think Gori, hmm. Gori, Gori, B-b-b- without much fin- financial uh, means and things like that. And uh, now he owns a gastronom, hmm. uh, you know this this chain of sure. restaurant. He he went in two years and a half from uh, I think 15 employees to 260 employees. Uh-huh. His product is great, uh, you know. He pays attention to the concepts. He 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 makes sure that uh, you have quality product and he's working a lot. And I believe, I believe that when you're seeing this type of, of reference as a kid, for yeah. instance in Gori, no, of course, that's the thing that says, oh my God, this guy come from the same background as I do. What are my, what are my excuses? Right? Because I'm always scared of, uh, for instance, uh, of affirmative action like th- that happened in the 70s in the US and things like that. I'm always scared of this because you cannot trick the brain so much. Mm. Like, if you get to a position that you know you don't deserve, something bad's going to happen. Mm. Like, you know, you c- you cannot, you cannot, uh, mm-hmm. like, change it. And that's why I'm, I'm always favorable to make things hard, to keep things hard, mm-hmm. so that when you m- when you achieve something, you know it's you. Mm-hmm. And you don't have any, and that builds real self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was the little parenthesis, but, uh, so... Yeah, d- definitely, self-esteem. Yeah.
1: Self no, the, the the pride that, that you talked about—it's very uh, common to think about Georgian men as being very proud, but you know, to a large extent, and I, I agree with you, this pride or semblance of, of pride is is just a shell. You know, it's like a, a an image that people put out yeah. precisely because they're very vulnerable mm-hmm. and they lack mm-hmm. confidence. Mm-hmm. So in, because they lack confidence. Because they lack lack in uh, self-esteem mm-hmm. they put out this image of you know you talk to me
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a man you know. And I understand. Yeah. And women women here are incredible. Uh, <sighs> like Georgian women uh, uh, Unbelievable. Yeah. Yes.
1: They carry this nation. Yes. Yeah.
0: And, they, and They're they. everywhere the driver the wheel <laughs> the, the the. this is the, the women that keep it all together. Yeah. Yeah
1: they 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 are survival mode you know so they really make may make it make the society mm. they keep it together and they they uh at in in critical times mm. times of chaos mm. Mm. Uh, in the family in in a business you know they they are the
0: ones to go to mm.
1: uh
0: l- let's go to this uh, uh, f- f- uh, french story if you will. uh so uh, Eric has a, a kid uh Jan who is uh, uh, studying in France in uh, in prepa uh, which is in French is the is the highest level uh, uh type of study that you can do the most intensive I uh, you know because I've, do, I've done I've done it as well and uh, so Eric was uh, looking and his son were looking for an apartment in oh France Oh my god oh yeah. my god <laughs> 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 you want me to go. Into yeah, this? yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> please because it will be interesting because th- that will show really how the absurdity absurdity yeah. the of, of the what you believe yeah. Oh yeah, what God. you believe yeah. is a developed country yeah. and still having some absurdity de- uh, like
1: like this. It is amazing, you know. You go to France and you want to rent an apartment and you discover that none are none are available. You cannot possibly as a foreigner there's no way in hell for you to rent an apartment and the reason for that is that if you live in an apartment, if you rent an apartment, let's say, hypothetically, you rent an apartment, you live there, uh, you stop paying the rent, there's no way the owner of the apartment can kick you out. Why? Because there is all these protections, tenant protections that this French government has put in place. I don't know when, but it created this, you know, this tenant protection measures that they've taken uh, lead to a situation when you cannot rent your apartment out to a foreigner or to a, to a stranger because you are afraid that you will lose your, your asset essentially for many, many years. So the only way to, 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 to make it work in France, you have to give a, have a guarantor, a French ga- guy who is willing to give a personal guarantee that he or she will pay for, 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 the for, for, for you or for, for your kid if they default. And that yeah. guy has to have a salary and all that. Anyway, short, long story short, there's no way. I mean, again, I mean, I, I don't know enough French people who would be willing to guarantee the the, the rental payments of my son. <clears throat> so after trying very hard, and thank you, Sony, by the Sony, by the way, for trying to help, yeah. and thank your sister yeah. for trying to help. Long story short, we gave up,
0: <coughs> and I had to buy an apartment. <laughs> Can you believe this?
1: I you cannot buy. rent,
0: so then you have to buy. Uh,
1: that was. It still took two months uh, because the bureaucratic process involved in buying an apartment is not simple. You know, in Georgia, you know, this is something that people have to realize outside. In Georgia, you can buy an apartment in two hours, two hours. You go to a bank and the bank goes online and checks for you that the apartment is free of debts, of any sort of legal claims because everything is in the system, right? Uh, Everything is online. They do that for you. You can, they, they have a template for the agreement that you sign and the, the buyer uh, sign. Then they provide you a escrow account service for a very few dollars. So you put your money in this escrow account. And once the property rights are transferred from the buyer to the set, to, from the buyer to the, from the seller to the buyer, money is moved from the escrow account into the, into the seller's account, deal done. Yeah. Two hours. Yeah. You know? And it's one sheet of paper. Yeah. It doesn't involve a hundred pages. It doesn't involve any notary fees. It doesn't involve any lawyers. It don't, doesn't involve any waiting time. And everything I just mentioned is what you have to do. This is the hell you have to go through in France. Plus, you pay a lot of money for it. So, if you pay, I don't know, it's like 5 or 7% of yeah. the total cost. The, the transaction your, cost. Yeah, the yeah, Notary. Not t- yeah. Also regulated, by the way, by the, st- by the state. So, yes. Uh, you yes, know, yes, yes. There yes. could have been many more notary providing this service. Yeah. There could have been a crazy competition to provide this service. No, there is a numerous <laughs> clauses.
0: So there is... Uh, the, the, the number of notary are are here and there and it won't yeah, change.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm... Having gone through this n- uh, nightmare, now I'm I surprised the French economy still functions. You know, how can you function? How can you do business in a society that with such a heavy... Uh, it's impossible cost of transaction
0: it's it's impossible and uh, actually it's it's possible only for the very very big old companies Uh, look at uh, what France has produced the last uh, 20 years very very little very few companies like very real successful very very few but of course you have uh, like the the the, the how to say the the, the Mm. the star companies like you know you have the luxury industry and so on and so forth which which actually benefits from from those regulations? Mm. Because when you have a, for instance, minimum salary, mm. who is going to be able to pay a minimum salary if there is a minimum salary? So basically, startups are exactly no, you know, uh, not not not, 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 not wanted. A, exactly. Yeah. So that's why you have no no uh, no change in the, in the landscape, economic landscape in yeah. France. Very little, and that's what will cause the uh, I think the...
1: You know we can close the loop here, you know we talked about complexity and fragility you know this is exactly uh the 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 case here you know we are looking at a very complex set of regulations and interrelationships between firms and, and government and uh and this this is you know we we got used to it it exists so we we think you know and france is a is a is of course is an economic uh power, but it's very fragile you know it may easily lose its competitiveness and uh yeah. and go down I think it already way. has
0: yeah. I think it already has which
1: explains partially why you are here
0: yes and I think it explains why so many uh, French people just go out yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I love uh, I mean France when you look at it from the cultural standpoint I mean it's unmatchable anywhere absolutely when, like unmatchable uh, when you look for uh, architecture, the art, the f- fashion industry uh you know, the landscape, the tourism industry. I mean, on this no, type of it's stage, It's stages, amazing, yeah. In a it's class of its own. Yeah. But when you're looking at uh, uh, the fields of economic freedom, I mean, uh, <laughs> you have a 70% tax burden. 70% <laughs> so of every single hundred doll- euro that you're making, 70 are going to go back somehow to the state. Wow. So, obviously, these type of things are very, it's, f- it's like feudal theod- uh, system. Mm. Know, it's like a field of system when you have this type of thing that would not allow you to just mm-hmm. go up a certain mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. Impossible. Mm-hmm. But it's mathematics. Mm-hmm. It's, just it's mathematics. Of course, you're going to have always an exception. But overall, you'll, you'll just have this average, which is... Yeah. Uh,
1: so a lot of young at- entrepreneurs are essentially being driven out. Yes. That, that's yes, the, that's the, the,
0: the whole story. Yeah. Yes, of course. Of course. So... On this happy note, yes. On this happy note, uh, Eric, uh, uh, thank you very much. Uh, my, my we need pleasure. we need to do part two, part three, part huh? because you know one hour and a half is not enough to go through a lot. We have lots of today, and you have so much knowledge and so much uh, insight into the country that uh, I think we should we should uh, when you have time and we'll, when you will be back. But uh, it it uh, it was very interesting and. Um, and so we thank you a lot. We My pleasure, Sonia. No, really. I
1: think you're doing an, ama- an amazing job here. Uh, thank you. And it really helps helps the country. Uh, I, I believe you know, bring out all these stories. Sure, it's a, it is a, an amazing place. And the, at the end sure, of the day, sure, you know? sure.
0: And you know, you know when you when you have all those information in one centralised place, mm, you know that that that, that increases the quality of your decision making. Uh, because if you can have all the information in one place uh, then you have limited time where you can ingest those information and if the, those information as are insightful enough it will increase it will reduce the uh, the m- mistakes which al- al- always happen in business but reduce the, the, the ratio yep. of mistakes yep. and mm-hmm. so that's what we're trying to do so uh, thanks everybody and uh uh, see you for the next podcast.